Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen. And how many has been glad to be in the service of the King? Amen, amen. Not just the King, but the King of all kings. Amen. The one who never loses a battle, never falters in the battlefield, but his victory just reigns supreme. Amen. Amen. So good to be in the house of God tonight and to feel his presence. I got to tell you, that's so exciting hearing about what's going on with pastor and, you know, that just, oh, just makes me feel so good. Just so good to be a part of the kingdom of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We'll jump into the word of God. It's an honor to bring the word to us tonight. I'll try to keep it short and sweet. Got a couple of passages of scripture that we'll be reading through. Ephesians chapter 11. We'll read a couple of passages, a couple of verses of scripture there. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 6 and 11. It says in verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Amen. First Samuel chapter 16 in verse 10, we'll go to a familiar passage of scripture again. Verse 10 says, again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, send and fetch him. For we will not sit down until he come hither. Amen. If we can lay our Bibles down, ask God to anoint our hearts and our minds and our ears to hear the word of God tonight. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today, God. We would ask you, God, to minister to each and every one of us, God, today. Touch us, God. Anoint our minds. Anoint our ears, God. Your word to speak to us, God. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We love you, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I want to preach to us today or talk about it's worth waiting for the right thing. It's worth waiting for the right thing. We read in the 16th chapter of Samuel, in the first Samuel, the story of the prophet in our text of Samuel, going to the town of a man called Jesse. And King Saul, the current king of Israel on the throne, had decided to forego the commandments of God and do his own thing. But God said, you know what, I'm going to find myself a prophet, and I'm going to find myself and anoint a new king for Israel. And so God moved upon the prophet, and in the process that we read about in the scriptures, where God says, go to the town of Bethlehem in the household of Jesse. And it's well known that God spoke to Samuel, and he was a faithful man of God. And so when the word got out that Samuel was approaching the town, the townspeople began to ask. And they just said, do, do you come in peace? 
Or do you come to wish ill? Tell us so that we do not come. And in other words, he says, please don't bring judgment of God upon us. Do you, do you come in peace? And Samuel began to ease their minds, said, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Come and join me. He then invited Jesse's household and gathered them together and prepared them an altar to sacrifice unto the Lord. And, and I bring this out because when we read these scriptures and we talk about this passage of scripture, the, the, the scenario that's been played in my mind uh, through all these years of being around church and Sunday school, and we talk about Jesse lining up his sons and parading them in front of Samuel, but we don't talk about all the people standing around watching this whole process happen. Because the Bible says that Samuel said, come and join me. And then they're all standing there with the people and, and they're standing there with the family of Jesse and, and he starts to pull out the little vial of oil and they're understanding, well, maybe something's going on besides sacrificing a goat or, or a lamb or something. There's not an animal being presented here on this altar and begins to parade the sons in front. And we understand that what the process was all about because we know the end result of the story. But could you imagine as the people began to be paraded in front of the prophet of the sons and, and they understand, well, here's the eldest son and Eliab and he passed before the prophet. And you can see that as a father in those days that he was the eldest of sons. He held the inheritance of the household of Jesse. Here is my creme de la creme. Here is my strong son. And he parades him in front of the prophet. And no, that's, that's not the one. And, and you see as the story goes on, they step another, the second born. And, and they put him in front of the prophet. And no, that's, that's not the one. And they begin to go son after son. And, and the principle that God is showing us that it's not always, and it points out in Scripture, is talking about in First Samuel 16 and 7, it says, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance, nor on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. As we see, this is another message within itself, and Eliab's inward qualities did not meet God's standard of a king. The next brother didn't meet God's standard to be a king. And so you see the thirdborn and the fourthborn and all the way down, God will pass over those who think that, you know, I'm everything and I'm the warrior, I'm the one that's strong, but God has a plan. And as the man of God began to filter through each and every one, we realize that no doubt each and every one of those brothers have some good qualities. But our God is picky. He has to have the right one, the perfect one, to fulfill the perfect plan. It's all to fit in to meet a perfect plan that's laid out in Scripture of how the lineage and the king was supposed to be. It wasn't just any ordinary man. Don't think that God must meet you on your terms. It's about you meeting him on his terms. Sometimes we lose sight of this when we look at holiness, when we look at righteousness. We think that it's on our terms and what we think is right, but it's about what the word of God sees as right. God is picky. He's particular. He's meticulous about his children. It shows because he has never failed us. I don't want him to ever change the process of taking care of his children. 
He gives us exact, precise commandments. He gave us a word to follow to the letter. He gave us a promise that he will then say, I will keep and take care of my children. We serve a meticulous God that says, you know what? I'm not just going to pick anybody. I'm going to pick someone who can change the world. And so we find as they pass before the prophet, man after man, until seven sons of Jesse has stepped forward, yet God would not confirm any of them. And finally, we see in Scripture where Samuel turned to Jesse with the crowd anxiously looking on in verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Here, he said, Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. Waiting for the right one is worth it every time. The people standing around, when he said, Give me all your sons, they knew how many sons Jesse had. When it came down to the last one that was present, and God didn't pick him, Everybody knew who the next king was going to be. You know what? There's a shepherd boy taking care of the sheep. Go ahead, Jesse. Tell him about your youngest son. In anticipation, they know the king is coming. This youngest son had been overlooked and even thought by his own father as not being worthy of God's anointing. And over the course of the young man, David, we see that God had his hand on him, but yet his own father didn't seem fit to be a king. We sit here today with fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and cousins and, and everybody in our walk of life and family members. They don't think we're fit to be king's kids. They don't think we're fit to serve in the kingdom of God. Otherwise, they wouldn't give you fits and, and give you problems and say, why do you keep going to church and stop talking about Jesus and all this God stuff and the Bible? Quit being so preachy and just be like anybody else. You're not fit to be a king's kid is what they're saying. But God has picked us. He's chosen us. We look at our families, and we get down on our knees, and we say, God, why did you choose me? We look at our cousins that's walked out on God, and our aunts and our uncles walked out of these churches and never set foot, and we say, God, why did you choose me? No doubt those same words flowed off of David's tongue. God, why did you choose me through all of this? You went through each and every one of my able-bodied brothers, and you chose little old me. Saints of God, it's not time for the pity party. It's time for us to recognize for what we really are. God waited for the right thing. Someone who could step in and change their community, step in and change their church, change their family, walk into situations at work and be able to speak prayer and change the situation. And he say, that's why I waited for you. And we look at our situations and we think, why God, why little old me? But God says, I picked you for a reason. There's a purpose. There's a plan. Today I'm drawn to the particular command of Samuel. We find the following from the omission of Jesse where he says there's one more. And Jesse says, well, there's one more that's yet to come. And he's the youngest, but he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel says, first send and get him. And then the next breath, Samuel says, we will not sit until he comes here. 
So David's out tending sheep. Don't know how far away. We don't know how many fields he was away. We don't know how long of a walk. He wasn't within cell phone distance. He wasn't within hailing distance. He was out there tending the sheep. But Samuel said, this is so important. We're going to stand until he shows up. The king's presence is worth waiting on. Waiting on the presence of a king is worth saying, I will devote my attention. Nothing is going to happen until the king shows up in this situation. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm not going to make any bread. I'm not going to chop any wood. I'm not going to wash any kids. I'm not going to mend any clothes. It's all about the king. It's all about waiting for the king. It's worth waiting for the right thing, saints of God. Because when he steps into your life, you know he's there. When he steps in and says, were you waiting on me? Your heart says, the king is here. He may not know he's the king, little David, but you're the king. Such a simple statement, yet we miss that this was a huge request. We don't know how long they had to wait, but the word of God says they waited. We don't know how long they had to stand there and shift from foot to foot in sandals and dirt in the heat of the day, no telling what's going on, but they waited. They knew that God was going to anoint a king. And when he spoke the words, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to grasp it, but David was going to walk in and everybody's going to know, here's the next king. Here's the next king. It was no longer just little David, little shepherd boy. It was king. It was King David. The people then begin to understand, you know what? We have a king. But this is our new king. This is the one that's going to make a difference. This is the one that God has called out of a field doing just medial tasks around the farm. He's the king. Because David's reign, reign and lineage gave birth to Jesus Christ, the ruler of Israel, who would be called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It was so important for David to show up. It was so important for them to go over and Samuel to say, not him, not him, not him, not him. Jesse, not even him, not him, not him. But this is the one. It was so precise. It was dependent upon one person to pass the lineage down to where we find, when we trace the lineage of Jesus Christ, we find David. We don't find his brothers. We find David. Because he came to this earth for a brief time to usher in the wonderful era of grace and Jesus Christ, our King of Kings, has ascended into heaven, but not physically present in this world in a bodily form, but save for the thousands of Holy Ghost-filled believers, his presence is made known here every day. The sun rises, his saints are here. The sun goes down, his saints are here. The presence of an almighty king fills the universe, and we are all a part of his plan. And so from the lips of the ancient prophet, I bring you a timeless message that has stood through time. We must not sit down until the king comes. He promised he would come 2,000 years ago. He said, I will come back and I will receive my bride unto myself. We saints of God cannot sit here. We cannot let idle time elapse past our fingertips 
because the king is coming. Somebody's beckoned him. And it's him saying, I'm coming for my children. We can't sit here and say and twiddle our thumbs and wait. We know who's coming. It's the king. It's not just a shepherd boy. It's not just a carpenter. It's not just a boy who grew up and was crucified and we never heard from again. But it's Jesus Christ. He's coming back. We must stand at attention for the king of all kings. The one who sums up everything in our life that we live for and everything that we want to reach for in the presence of God, we feel it's his presence we stand at attention for and say, God, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's the king of all kings. Have you ever been in a room in the presence of a, of a party or a get-together and someone steps in that room in their presence? They have such a powerful persona. They have such a powerful way of conducting themselves that when they step in, they open the door, they don't need someone to announce, here comes Mr. or Mrs. They walk in and a hush falls in and, hey, they're here. We've been waiting for them. Have you had family gatherings and it just didn't feel like it was a family reunion until uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so comes in and, and then it's all right, now we can have a get-together. There's that, that person in your family that, just wraps everybody up and you have so much fun. It's everybody's favorite uncle or favorite aunt and, and everybody's twiddling their thumbs and eating and drinking and just waiting for, I wonder when uncle so-and-so is going to show up. And in our family, it's, it's Uncle Tony. You can ask my, my kids about it. It's when Uncle Tony shows up, you know it's going to be a lot of fun. He normally has a little bag of toys that he's brought in for everybody some weird candy, and he'll put up some little little dish for an appetizer, and it's going to be stuff you don't even know what it looks like, and everybody gathers around. What did he find in his travels this time? And everybody's trying it, and then he pulls out the tins, and it's oysters, and it's every other exotic thing that he's found in some little tin and bought it just for Christmas time so everybody could try it. And everybody gathers around. It's that person that has that magnetism that when they walk in, you, you want to go over and say, hi, how are you doing? It's so good to see you, and it's genuine. It's not the weird Uncle Larry that no one wants to see. And, you know, you're like, he showed up again, didn't he? Who told him this was the day? It, it's not the weird aunt that comes in, and when she gives you a hug, you look like you got an Afghan blanket from all the cat hair on you. And, you know, we have those people in our families. We don't sit and wait for them to show up. They show up on their own and sometimes uninvited. But when you have someone you're looking forward to see, when they open the door, they're here. They're here. I've been waiting on them. How are you doing? It's been months since I've seen you and talked to you, but it feels like yesterday. And you give them the big hug and the embrace, and you just joy and smile. And hey, everybody, Uncle Tony's here. We can start the party now. Get the kids. They're downstairs. And come on up. It's going to be a party around here. But when God shows up, we say, hey, sinner, you better get to that altar. God's here. Hey, sinner, won't you come to church with me? I've got someone. He's my favorite in all the world. You've got to meet him. He comes with these, these things that he hands out called forgiveness. And once you get it one time, you're like, oh, my word. And peace and joy. Once he says, hey, won't you try this? And you pick it up and, oh, that's so good. You can't wait. And then you turn around and say, you know who that is? That's not just anybody. That's the king 
of all kings. We've been waiting. We've been standing. We've been serving at attention, waiting for him to show up. It's because his presence makes himself known. He changes the room when he walks into it. He changes your life when you walk into it and you say, God, I'm so tired. I'm so miserable. And we read scriptures, Psalms chapter 24 and verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Saints of God, his presence is a game changer. His presence when you're feeling low, when you're feeling down, you feel like, oh, I just don't know what to do. My body's not feeling good. I'm feeling sick. I'm so tired of how I feel. I feel so discouraged or so depressed. All you need is the presence of God. Just wait for him to show up and step into your situation. And you say, you know what? It was all worth waiting on. My mind was running crazy. I had myself talked into dying. I was dying of some crazy rare disease. But all I had to do was say, God, I'm so sick of being miserable. Touch me. And God reached down through all the things in time, all the needs of this world, reaches over and says, I'm going to touch this person right here. Because we're standing at attention, we're not going to sit until he shows up. Saints of God, there's no time to quit. There's no time for us to stop. It's not a time for us to back down. Our worship must be pure. Our praise must be there. It must be spot on. It must be point on. It must be for him and nobody else. Our worship must flow from the depths of our heart because we do it all because we're at attention for the king. Because someone summoned him and said, God, I need help. I have a prayer request. I'm feeling weak. I'm feeling down. We're waiting on the king. Saints of God, there's no time for us to say, you know what, my worship, I'll just settle for this. And I'll water it down just, you know, the song's a little praise and worshipy, and I'll match my worship to it. And, you know, saints of God, in a, in a day and age, when you can walk in any churches across this city, and everybody can have their little praise and worship band, get up their little guy with a guitar, and all the songs are all about just feeling all softy, mellow, just mellow. And you walk in and you say, where is God Jehovah? Where is he? And, you know, oh, just reach out and you'll feel him. And Mr. Olstein will blink a hundred different times while you're looking at him and make you feel good and make you talk about his book and how you empower yourself. But saints of God, that's not what my king does. When he arrives on the scene, he makes his presence known. He's vibrant in his presence. He makes me want to dance. He makes me want to shout. He makes me want to cry. He makes me want to lift my hands. He makes my heart feel overwhelmed when I walk out of a church. I say, God, you are so real and rich. How can I deny your existence? You changed me once again. Your word spoke to me once again. It's all because we said, God, right here, we're waiting on you. Is that you over there? It's him. He's coming. Hey, everybody, he's coming. He's right here. I felt him. It wasn't just me. It wasn't just my mind. I'm not going crazy. But the Lord God is here with us. We can't take it for granted. We can't worship men. We can't worship their processes. 
We can't worship our possessions. We see in Scripture where Peter walked up to Cornelius, and Cornelius fell down at his feet and began to worship him. And Peter says, stand up, I am too a man. Don't, don't do this to me. You're, if you make me be worshipped, get off your knees and stand up and give me a man, give, embrace me like a man, don't worship me like I'm some god because the moment you put me on that pedestal and you, you, you lift me up, it, it allows my flesh to glory and, and say it's about me and not about him. And it, it, it was him saying, hey, it's about him, not me. It's about, let's watch, don't sit down, he's coming. Don't even think about sitting down. Your legs are weary and you're tired and you want to do something else, but don't lose focus. He's, he's right there. I see him coming. Saints of God, we, we don't want to get down and, and in our sincerity lose sight of what God wants to do for us. Cornelius was sincere, but he was misguided. He was sincerely wrong. And Peter said, listen, stand up. I'm a man too. We see in Revelations chapter 22, it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of an angel who showed them to me. And he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets and with those that keep the words of this book. Worship God. Don't worship me. Worship God. The, the angel said, don't worship me. I'm no greater than you and your, your fellow brothers and prophets in the Lord. You are you're good creatures and you're faithful and the servants of God do his favor. But you must realize that you must worship God. He is the one who must be worshipped. And stand up and be a man and God in Christ and, and worship God, not me. Saints of God, it's easy for our eyes to drift and we find those that are lifted up in powerful positions in our life, they influence us. Someone who we worship God with or we grew up with and they're keeping the faith and you call them up and say, how are you doing? And, and they say, we're doing good. We've had a good church and you encourage each other. But you can't worship each other. Just because you're, you're good and you can connect with them and you know they're going to a good church and they're solid in their foundation. But the moment they slip, if you're worshiping them, you're going down with them. You've got to worship the one who changes the life. We must stand up and worship the, the pure worship. Idolatry and bowing down before a statue has always been detestable in the sight of God. Praying to the saints and bowing before good gods and what we say is the little g gods and, and servants and we call them saints and we have people that elevate people who just lived ordinary lives and maybe done a few special things and touched a few people and gave to the poor and now they're a saint. And we worship them and we, people get down on their knees and they, they pray to this person. They can't hear. Their ears are deaf. They never hear a word they say. But people worship them. We must keep, keep our worship pure. We must keep it to where it means something. When someone sees you doing it, they're not like, something's not right. Something just doesn't feel right. But when your gaze is at him, there's no worry. There's no perversion of worship. You're looking at the king. When you introduce the king to them, they understand. You know what? It's right. It's right. Why don't you go ahead and Tell me about this man called Jesus Christ because it's right. It's not time to back down for this. It's time for us to stand up and wait for the right thing, Cornelius. It's time for our eyes to be on the king of all kings, not on ourself 
not on our possessions, not on anything promised to us by somebody else, but it's on the promises of God. It's no time for us to back down from what God has promised us. And as I've said before, and preacher after preacher has said it, go back to what God has promised you because he's going to keep his word. If God said your children are going to walk through these doors or another church doors, he's going to keep his word. And you'll see it happen for one reason, because you keep your eyes on him. You stand at attention. You say, I'm not going to waver. I'm going to keep the faith. I'm going to recognize who's God and king in my life because no one else can take the place of my, of my God and my king. No one else can step in and say, oh, why don't you worship me for a little bit? This is what I can give you. But it's all about God, the king of glory, stepping in and keeping his word and standing among his people. Everybody's eyes will be on him. There's going to be a glorious day. We walk in, we stand before the golden gates and we stand there before the gates of heaven and we're before the judgment seat we look at God we're going to say you know what it was all about him everything every trial I went through was all about him nothing for myself nothing for what I could do within myself how many things we read through the text that are just a simple command we must withstand the evil day and stand against the attacks of Satan. But we cannot give up to the pressure of this sin and of this world. We see in Galatians chapter 5, it says, For freedom, for freedom Christ has set us, set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In other words, we see Jesus saying, I set you free once. Don't go back and put the bonds back on your hands again. Don't willingly walk up and say, shackle me, tie me up, put me in a cell, lock me away. I was reading a story about a gentleman who was falsely accused of doing, uh, breaking the law. And the officers came in in front of everybody, put his hands behind his back, put the handcuffs on him, took him to a holding cell for several hours. He's like, well, I didn't do anything. What did I do? And then he gets from that, and he starts to say, hey, and ask questions, and what's going on? And no one would answer a word. And then they took him and turned him over to the local authorities, and they went and put him in another jail cell, and they wouldn't answer his questions. And this whole time, this guy is incarcerated and didn't know what he did, had no idea, had no inclination of what I said or how I acted in a way that threatened somebody and they're making these false charges against me and and his wife had to come pay bail and they took him to court and it was a kangaroo court and and the judge got up and said all right who's your accusers and the and the accusers came in and says this is what he did and didn't even give him a chance to defend himself and you're guilty it was a kangaroo court wasn't done right and he begins to put the facts together, and the guy's saying, well, he acted threatening, and he, he, done, he said he was going to put a bomb on something, and, and they went back and watched the evidence outside of the courtroom, and the guy was just standing there with his laptops just wanting to get through security and get on his plane, and he didn't do anything wrong, but he got incarcerated. He got put in shackles, taken away to jail. We don't want to put ourselves in the position, saints of God, 
to where our good deeds can be misinterpreted. Because when the false accusers come and they say, oh, they did this and they don't, they talk this way and you've never changed. God gives you a chance to stand up and say, he changed me. This is the judge. Judge, tell my accusers what you did for me. Judge, your honor, if I could have a moment, could I tell those that's brought these accusations against me, saying that I'm not worthy, would you, would you tell them what you did? Would you explain to them about Calvary and how you laid down your life? Your honor, your honor, please speak on my behalf. And he allows us to walk free. Saints of God, don't allow yourselves to be yoked up again to slavery. Don't walk back into those pitfalls and those traps that the world wants to set for us. Don't go back to those same people that made fun of you when you first started coming to church and then it's tapered off, but now it's all cool and they're okay. But don't forget what they said because they'll say it again. Don't forget how they made fun of you because they'll say it again. Don't forget how they ridiculed you when you first started coming to church and feeling his grace and his glory and the presence of God changed your life and you were baptized and you wanted to talk to them about church and all oh, you're too preachy. They may have not have said it for several years, but they'll say it again. They'll accuse you again. They're not your friend. They're wanting to put you back in the yoke of slavery. The natural inclination of humans is to grow weary and sit down. The natural inclination is for us to, ah, you know what? There's a place to sit. It's not going to hurt for me to sit down. There's no one else needing this seat. No one coming. But when we're sitting, we don't see the king coming. If he comes back and we're not working, we don't see the king coming. In closing, if we could have musicians come, They were trying to build a building in a major city in Virginia. And they began to survey the area. And they looked in the ground and they, they knew it was a historical site. They began to survey the ground and they realized that here is a burial site. They began to decide, what are we going to do? We have plans to build a building here, contribute to the community. What are we going to do? They made the decision, we're going to dig up this soldier, we're going to give him a rightful burial, we're going to put him in a place and build a statue in his memory and thank him for his service. They said as they begin to dig, they begin to find the body. And they found the head first. They begin to dig even further. And they realized that the grave was not laying flat on the ground, the body. He was standing up. And in his moment in the battlefield, he had said, I want to be buried standing up because I don't want anybody to think that I gave up in the fight. They dug him up, put him in another uh, burial ground, and buried him standing up and put a statue. If you go to the Czech Republic, you go to Prague, you'll find another cemetery that dates back to like the 15th century. And it's full of Jews. And you walk in the, the graveyard and you'll see tombstone after tombstone just lined one right after another, closer than what we see in our cemeteries. And you're like, how in the world did they fit all these bodies in here? They said these people requested to be buried standing up. 
so they would be able to welcome the coming of their Savior. They wanted to be ready and at attention, and they stacked them in there standing up. You find examples after examples. There's another man who was buried standing upright, and his quote in 1824 says, I might not waste any time in seeing the face of the blessed Jesus, my Savior, on that great day of resurrection where I shall receive my soul again. He's buried upright in anticipation of a resurrection. Saints of God, we sit here today breathing, living human beings. But are we at attention for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is our minds at attention? Are we mentally and spiritually there to where we're on point? The worship is about him. The praise is about him. We've got to be ready. It's not about what we can do for ourselves. It's about how we can be ready for him. I refuse to bow down to the idols of this world and the, the principles they try to rip away from us and say it's no longer needed for us to have prayer and you can't have things, but you have people that are coming out of the closet trying to repress your beliefs. It's time for us as saints of God to stand up and say, listen, I can do this. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's key because it says, though I, I will fear no evil because he's with me. He's my rod. He's my staff. He's the one that comforts me. Saints of God, it's time for us as children to stand up to the king of kings and say, we're ready and attentive to your second coming. We're ready because we're working. Our backs are not bent over and woe is me, but we see the burden we bear. It's a cross that we must carry and tell everybody in this world, Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's coming back for his children that are waiting for him. He's coming back for the children that are attentive and say, and even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's God, don't lay me down to sleep and let my soul just keep on the ground. But it's God, let it be said, when you look down in your children, I'm standing there, I'm looking up, my hands are raised, I'm saying, God, I see you coming. I'm not going to sit down until you show up on the scene. Then I'm going to praise and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to give you the honor that you've requested of your children. I'm not going to back down from this world that wants to push me down to the grave and say, just lay down and die. And we'll throw a little dirt and we'll throw a little flower on you. But God wants us to stand up and say, children, all around us, we must live for God. There must be something down deep in our heart that says, I cannot fail my Savior now. We must live for him. Can we stand today? I refuse to cower in the bushes at the threats that the giants in my life make at me. I refuse to back down from the voices that scream the obscenities and curse me and say, you can't do this, Douglas. You're not, you're not made for this job. You can't do this. You can't live for him. And, and you're full of sin. And, and you, God's never forgiven you. And you're not worthy of what God has done. But I refuse to listen to those voices. I refuse to let them suppress my testimony, Brother Merriman. I refuse to let them be the, the, the dominant voice in my life instead of it being saying, God, I love you. And he says, I love you too. I don't want those voices to be suppressed by the giants in our lives. 
but I want the one that's the king and reigns supreme be able to speak to each and every one of them and say, just listen to that still, small voice. It's so simple. These words the prophet said sum up the most basic theme in all the scriptures in a nutshell. Don't stop believing. The king is coming. Don't stop. Don't give up. Don't go weary in well-doing. For in due season, in due season, it's going to happen. We need to stand, saints of God. Don't sit until the king comes back. It's worth waiting for the right thing in your life. And we can say this too where pastors at in Africa. It's worth waiting for the right thing. Saints of God, you say it to your family. It's worth waiting for the right thing. Don't just give up on anything that gets weighed in front of your nose and you say it's good. It's worth waiting for the right thing because when that king shows up, everything's going to be all right. When the king steps in and his presence is known, it's going to be all right. Can we lift our hands and let's talk to the king of all kings. Let's thank him for him today. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. Amen, amen.